This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So like I said, we are going to be continuing from where we were last week. And we'll do a little bit of review, but I'm going to try to get through it. So if you missed last week, I'm going to encourage you to go back and just listen to it again so that you can connect the knowledge. Um, But for anybody who's been here any short period of time, you know the pastor has been teaching on how to press toward the mark on on Sundays. And she, um, you know, a couple Sundays ago, a few Sundays ago, she had taught on how to press toward the mark through your disappointments. And like I said last week, I'm continuing in that same vein. uh, But mine is going to be how to press toward the mark. Um, and how to overcome discouragement. And like I said last week, a lot of people are like, you know, aren't disappointments and discouragements the same thing? And they're not. And like I said, we're going to do a little bit of a review here so we can get to get everybody caught up to where we were last week. But I'll start off with saying there is a difference between the two, and I'll give you the different definitions of them both again so we can all get uh, caught up. Disappointment, and what we said last week is it's an unpleased emotion, I'm sorry, an unpleased emotional response to unfulfilled Unmet expectations. So that all, everything that falls under there is un, unfulfilled goals, unfulfilled hopes, and your unfulfilled hopes, your unfulfilled dreams. What you think that's supposed to be coming your way, if those things aren't fulfilled, that you have an emotional response to it, a disappointment. And we've all been disappointed, uh, had disappointment in our lives. And then discouragement, though, as I said last week, is it's a loss of confidence. It's a loss of courage. It's to be disappointed to the point that I begin to faint. It's the desire to give up and to give in. And, you know, it's, like I was saying about believers' life, it's, you know, they don't correlate discouragement with things like, well, I don't, I don't come to church as often as I used to. But that's where you get your encouragement from. And, that's the, and the thing about it is that the things in life that come your way and you figure out, why, why is it not going the way that I thought it should go? Why is it not going the way that the scripture said it would go? But here's the thing. You have to get the scriptures line upon line, precept upon precept. God has encouragement for you. You can't choose when you want to be encouraged. Because, listen, he might have something for you today that you might not use until a year down the road. But you, if you didn't come, you missed it. And when your time comes to be encouraged, you're going to be like, God, I've read your word. I know there's some encouragement for it. Where is it? Well, God is sharing it to you today. He is sharing it to you today because we don't have to be discouraged. The difference between disappointments and discouragement is disappointments, they come. Discouragement is a choice. To be able to sit down in those disappointments, let those disappointments overwhelm overwhelm you to the point that you lose confidence in God, that's a choice. Because I told you that before, and I just said it, circumstances, they come. You will have disappointments. I'm going to clear that up with everybody in here. You will have disappointments if you haven't already. And I promise you, everybody in here already has. You will have disappointments. But not dealing with those disappointments, dwelling on those disappointments, not resolving those disappointments, not bringing them before the master's feet, that's what allows them to build up in you and allow you to go to a place of discouragement. You may push them off and be like, you know what, I'm disappointed, but I can move back past it. But you need to deal with those disappointments. You need to bring them before the master. Bring them before God, because he has something for you. And, and, and I don't want you to get me wrong either. There will be times of discouragement for everybody. I, I, said it, I said it last week. You know, sometimes it could be one thing that could bring you to a place of discouragement. And I told you I was going to share some, some, some times of discouragement with me, and I will later on today. But one of the times was, was when my father passed, and that was just a one-time thing. And immediately I started to feel discouraged. I felt like giving up. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. 
And how God brought me out of that, that place of discouragement. But at that point, wasn't anything going through my mind, but I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. There was, and God's grace is so, it's, it's so amazing, because there were people behind, beside me and things like that that would always whisper things in my ear, and it would keep me reminded of who God is. But at that point, I was discouraged. So we, as a whole, we need to, what we need to realize is that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if you have a, like I said last week, you can have a sick loved one. You can have somebody that passed. You can have somebody that keeps disappointing you in the, in the standard of God. They, they sent, listen, you told your children, it may be a child that, that, that's, that's uh, hanging out with the wrong crowd, that's involved with drinking, that's involved with drugs, that, involved, that, aren't, that aren't going to school for school, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. It, it could be anything that disappoints you. But let me tell you something, God has the answer for all of it. There's so many things in this world that can disappoint you, but there's one answer. And that's the thing, see, as, as humans, as people, we all look for different answers. But no, this is a different circumstance. But God is the God of all circumstances. It doesn't matter what you, it doesn't matter what you bring to the table. He has the answer. It's available for you, but you've got to want it. Like I told you, just like discouragement is a choice, so is encouragement. You've got to choose to encourage yourself. You've got to choose to follow what God has for you. Or you can choose to stay in that place of discouragement. And again, if, if, you, if you stay in that place of discouragement, like I, like I told you last week, being discouraged is not a sin. But staying in that place of discouragement and then responding out of your discouragement, guess what? You're going to respond in sinful ways. If somebody has disappointed you and you're angry with them and you don't handle that, guess what? You're going to respond out of your anger. And guess what? That's a sin. You've got to handle your discouragement. I want you to remember our foundation scripture in Philippians. It's forgetting Philippians chapter 4. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. In, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Forgetting what lies behind. I will press. I'm going to press through those circumstances. Press again means, guess what? We're going to have opposition. You're going to have every chance. Listen, press means you're going to have every chance to give up. I think, <laughs> I think of a... Just because me and my brother work out a lot, I think of, we, uh, we do this elliptical, right? And so I, I've tried to build up how long I can go on the elliptical, right? And I get to a point where, when you first get on, there's a point where your legs start burning. And your heart start getting up, right? And I've only been on maybe about five, ten minutes, right? And I'm thinking to myself, is that all you can do? When that opposition comes, and it's amazing, once I begin to press through that, the pain and stuff, all of a sudden, five, ten minutes later, you get that second win and it's gone. And I continue to press. And I, when I first started, you know what? I met the opposition, and I stopped after a little while. Second time, or a few times later, same thing. And now, every time that opposition comes, I press. I push through it. But that's the same thing with the Word of God. I don't want you to get caught up in the illustration. There's going to be some things that are uncomfortable. There's going to be some things that cause you some pain. There's going to be some things that are going to discourage you. But guess what? When it shows up, you got to let them know, but I can do all things through Christ. Remember, <laughs> and, and that's in Philippians too. But I can do, listen, it doesn't matter whether I'm, whether I'm abounding, whether I'm a base. It doesn't matter how much money I have or how much, or, or lack thereof. Because I can do all things through Christ. He's my strength. His grace affords me to be able to pick up and move forward. I can't get discouraged. And what did I say discouraged? I can't lose my confidence in God. I can't give up my courage to do what God has called me to do, what he's placed me here to do. 
Because again, if you start dwelling on, this, on those disappointments, you'll, you'll lose confidence and courage in God and then you start blaming God. I'm not, God, your word says this, but why am I not here? And have been halfway living by it. But why am I not here? Your word is not true. Your word is unfair. That's a place of discouragement. Because I'm, listen, I'm here to tell you, I'm living proof God's word is true. I'm here to, I've witnessed it not only in my life, but in the lives of the people of this ministry. God's word is true. No matter, listen, no matter what your background is, where you come from, what sin you've been involved with before, I've witnessed his mercy. I've witnessed his grace. There's no need to, listen, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter what the enemy says you are. If you're saved, you're bought with the price. That means what God has for me this way, when I'm reaching forward, is way better than what lies behind. I can forget that. I've been saved. See, never forget that. Never forget what your hope is. My hope is in Christ. And I'm going to live that way. No matter, listen, let me, let me tell you, the Bible says it rains on the just and unjust alike. The stuff that you're going through, guess what? Everybody's going through it. But the difference is you go through it with Christ. See, that's what you can never forget. And if you're like, well, I don't see that difference. Well, you need Christ. There's a difference, because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This Christ, he doesn't leave you wanting. If you say you're going for Christ and you're still wanting, you haven't tried the Christ that I know. And when I say try, I'm talking about putting, going back to what I said. Being encouraged, getting out of discouragement, it's a choice. It's an everyday choice. Guess what? In every decision you make. Really? Is, is it that serious? It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Yeah, it's that serious. You need to keep God involved in every situation, in every decision you make. Because if you don't, I promise you, discouragement will, will sneak its way. That's all the enemy wants, is to get us discouraged. Because when you're discouraged, you lose confidence in God, which means I'm paralyzed and I won't do anything for him. I don't mean you won't do anything for yourself, but you won't do anything for God and his purpose. You're paralyzed with the, in your walk with Christ. And that's right where the enemy wants us. Listen, whether you're living in sin, uh, I was just about to say it, but not doing nothing for God, being paralyzed and not doing nothing for God, that's sin. So when you get to that state of discouragement, you need to immediately say, I need to address this. I can't sit here in this. I'm just going to, you can't say, listen, I'm, you can't say I'm just going to let it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push it to the side for a little bit and I'll deal with it in a month or two. I'll deal with it next week. I'll deal with it. Guess what? In that month or two of that next week, you have responses to other things that's going to come up. And though you may not see it, your responses are going to flow from that area of discouragement. All of them. And that's how subtle the enemy is. Your response, see, because remember, discouragement is a loss in confidence in God. So your responses to your situations are going to show that you don't have no confidence in God. It's going to show that subtle mistrust of God. You know, you might come to church and be like, ah, but I got bills coming up. I'm not going to bring God his tithes and offering, which is his. I'm not going to bring, I've lost confidence in it anyway. He ain't taking care of my home like that. See, little stuff. And you're in a place of discouragement and didn't even know it. And it could have started from who knows where. Like I said, it could have been a family member dying and you don't understand. You blame God and you like, I, 
I've been giving my whole life and my, and my, my family. Let me tell you something. Like I said, every, everybody goes through that. If you live on this side of the flood, you are appointed to die once. Uh, listen, did you? the Word of God tells you that too. That's why I said, His encouragement is here. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't try to hide nothing from you and let you think you're going to live forever on this side of the flood. No. God is truthful with you. You know why? Because He wants you to remain encouraged. It's only when you believe the other stuff that when somebody passes, you get discouraged. You start to believe, I'll never see them again. Forgetting, losing confidence in what He's already told us. Beholding our circumstances instead of beholding the Holy One. So we have to learn to submit those disappointments and those discouragements to God. And when we do, He will show us the source of them. He will show us. So last week, we went to Ezra 3 because we wanted to see what the Scripture said about discouragement. We saw some people in the Scriptures, uh, the people of Israel that were discouraged. And before we went there, I did discuss a few signs of discouragement because I wanted you to see these in the Scripture when we went through them. So I'm going to go through those signs again and then we'll, we'll glance over Ezra and then move forward. So again, I said, some of the signs of discouragement is fatigue. The first one was fatigue. Physically, mentally, spiritually tired. Uh, and, and when you're those things, another thing that comes with it is the complaining, the negative proclamations. That all shows that you're, you're ready to give up. You're tired. Oh, we can't do that. That's too much work. I've tried that already. God, listen, you, you might go to spiritual authority in your life and say, try this. God said do this. i tried that already. You know, in your timing and in your season. You procrastinate. That's, ty- that's a sign of fatigue. Not getting, like we saw the people of Israel, they procrastinated for 16 years. Put God's house on hold. Fatigued. Another sign we said was frustration. Seems like there's too much to do. Like I'm just beating my fist in the air. Like I'm doing this all. I can't see the progress. Seems like you're always starting over. I can't, you know, frustrated with the same cycles that you keep putting yourself in. And that's the thing about frustration. You, when you get frustrated and discouraged again, that's, you start responding out of those things. And people are like, but well, I didn't do nothing to you. But you're frustrated. You're discouraged. God is the same way. God is like, but I have the answer for you. But you're frustrated. And you're blaming him. Another sign we said was fear. Intimidated. Doubt sets in. No, I can't do this. Like I said, you lose confidence. Because I can, listen, I can do all things. Listen, according to his will, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. But you get frustrated. You get fear sets in and says, ah, no, I, and that brings on the doubt, no, I can't do it. Because you have no confidence. And listen, when you have no confidence in God, that means your, your faith is damaged. And when, when you don't have faith, that's when fear steps in. That's when, uh, uh, who that said earlier, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's when you start walking by sight. And that's a place of discouragement. And I'm telling you, that's where the enemy wants you. Because guess what? He works by sight. That's what he does. He, all he does is present and persuade to your senses. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
He likes to play those mental movies with you. That's how he does. He paints a picture. When God says, I just need you to believe. See, you're thinking too much. I just need you to believe. See, that's the, that's the problem with man. We think too much. When God is, listen, God has thought this out from the foundations of the world. Your redemption, my redemption, your encouragement, my encouragement. He's thought that out from the foundations of the world. His plan is flawless. But remember, you've got to choose that plan. You've got to choose it. It's not working for me. Have you chose it? That's what keeps you in a place of discouragement. And then again, you know, you get to a place, if you start responding out of sin, then you get to that place where you were long before you accepted Christ, a place of self-condemnation. Shame. And, 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 and that creeps back in so easily because you have no confidence in God anyway. That's what discouragement will do to the believer. So are we in Ezra? Let's go to Ezra chapter 3. I believe that's where I started. Make sure I can get there real quick. Yes. And actually, I'm not going to read any of chapter 3 again. I'll just give you the background again. So again, the people of Israel have just been released from captivity, right? The Babylonian Empire, they, they, they had, uh, well, the Israelites had rebelled. So the Babylonian Empire had destroyed their city and taken the, took the Israelites captive. And then now there was a new king of the, uh, the Babylonian Empire, King Cyrus, I believe his name was. And he had a decree. Actually, he had a word from the Lord. And God told him, free his people, send them back and tell them to build the temple unto God. So that's what happened. They were leaving. They were headed back to their land to build the temple of God. And then what happened? They, they laid the foundation of the temple. And this is all chapter 3. And you can go back and read this. But they laid the foundation of the temple. And the people of God were so excited. They were encouraged. They were praising God. They were giving him glory for who he was. They were, listen, they were crying out with a loud voice. They were weeping with tears of joy. They were praising and worshiping God. So loud, and you can look. I'm, I'm going to read this in verse 3. It says, so the people who, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 13. It says, that, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. See, they were praising and worshiping God so much that the noise was heard afar off. And, and, and we know, as we read last week, that the noise was heard from the adversary. See, I want you to remember that. In the midst of your praise to God, God is watching you, but so is the enemy. The enemy does not want you in a place of worship. He wants you in a place of paralyzed. He wants you to be paralyzed, of stagnation, not doing anything of God. So instead, he was heard afar off by the adversaries. And the adversaries, of course, we said last week, it was the people of the land. So when you hear me talk about the people of the land, that's how they, they describe them in the scriptures. They're talking about the adversaries of the people of Israel. And so I, I want you to remember up to this point, there's always going to be opposition. That's why we have to press. There's going to always be opposition. And we saw in verse 2, what did the adversaries do? They, they hit them with their first, their first challenge, if you will. Their first source of discouragement, if you will. And they told them, you know what, how about you let us, let us build with you? Now, mind you, both the people of the land and the Israelites knew that they were adversaries. The Israelites knew that the people of the land worshipped other gods. The people of the land said, let us come build this with you. Let us build this temple with you. We worship your God too. Let us do this. Let us do that. But, and of course the people of God knew. And even though it was a source of discouragement. They said, I know 
Because they, they can see it. Y'all are trying to hinder this work. Y'all are our adversaries. Y'all, listen, we were doing this long before. It wasn't until you heard us afar off praising and worshiping that you came. And now you're here to try to stop it. So what happened? They told them, no, you, you can't come build with us. It's not going to go like that. So they pushed past that source of, of discouragement. And, and here's the thing, right? Or disappointment or discouragement. Disappointment and discouragement will come, but the enemy don't let up because you made it past one. <laughs> He's not going to say, oh, gosh, they're rooting the ground and I'll leave them alone. I'll be back maybe in a year or so. No. He might come back just that next second. So they wanted to make the work uncomfortable for him. Cunning, though, trying to lie to him. We'll help you. And, and, and it's funny, too, because they needed the help. They were rebuilding a temple. Not only that, they, had to, they were back to the city that they were once in. That city had gotten destroyed. They had to rebuild the city, the walls around the city, the temple, the temple foundation, the walls around the temple. All of that is their houses. They didn't have places. They had to build their own homes. All that was in their mind. In verse 4 and 5, here we go. Let's read verse 4 and 5 again. Then it says, Then the people of the land, the adversaries of the Israelites, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So what did I say was one of the first signs? Fatigue. That weakened there, that's fatigue. It discouraged the hands of the people. And when, I, when it said it weakened them, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that some of the people gave up right then. Not everybody, but weakening the hands means some of the hands gave up. Then it said, it said it troubled them, which is the fear. It intimidated them. That's the fear that they brought to them. As their adversaries. See, the, this is what I want you to remember, right? Because the enemy here, they had no power. This was a king's decree for them to rebuild the city. They had no power to stop them. But they could present and persuade. Just like the, just like the enemy does. Just like the, oh, he could, listen, the, the devil has no power over Jesus. All he could do to you is present and persuade. Let me help you. Uh, weaken their hands. And you're going to see how they weaken their hands. They told them stuff like, oh, that's too much for y'all to do. That's a lot of work for you. You got to do, they probably said what I said. You got to build the temple, the, the city. You got to do your house. You got to do this. You gotta, and y'all just came out of slavery. Not only that, but they had to, listen, they were still part of the Babylonian empire. So they had to go through the Babylonian courts to get all their things done. It said in the scriptures that they hired counselors against them. And, and, and I want you to understand, back in chapter 3, verse 7, they had, made, they had made deals for wood and stuff to rebuild the temple. Chapter 3, verse... Read all chapter 3. They had made deals for those things. But guess what? They had to come through the Babylonian Empire. So when you go to court and you're talking about those things, guess what? We have counselors there. Not that they can stop it, just to frustrate you. Frustrate your purpose. Because they... Listen, that was God's will for them to do. And the king of Babylon decreed it. The king of Persia said, let them go build their temple. Let them go back to their land and let them build their temple. And the people of the land knew the decree too. But still, they could present persuade. If we can't stop it by force, like the enemy cannot do to Jesus, then I can present persuade the people. See, the devil will present and persuade things to you just to discourage you from moving forward. And put God's name on it like they did. Oh, we, we worship your God. We, we want to help you build the temple. That's why you need to know God's word for yourself. Know the God that you serve. 
Or it'll be easy for you to be weakened. It'll be easy for you, it'll be easy for you to be frustrated. Feeling like I'm not doing I, I'm not doing anything for the will of God. Yeah, it, it'll be easy for you to be frustrated. And that's just the relentlessness of the enemy. In verse six and seven. Oh, I'm sorry, not six. Yeah, let's start at six. So I want to see I want you to see another. So here we are. They said, We're gonna build with you. That's the first discouragement. Then they weakened their hands. And intimidated them. High counsels at the court. This is non-stop, relentless discouragement on you. And here we are, verse 6. And in the reign of Asaris, in the beginning of his reign, I'm just going to call him Artaxerxes, because his other name is hard to, to say, but you'll see that his, that is Artaxerxes. The beginning of his reign wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil and the rest of the companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Now, I mentioned this last time because you saw, I assume, I didn't read verse 5, but you see in, re- in verse 5 it says, And hired counsels against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, Cyrus, king of Persia, even though he made the decree, they did these things to frustrate him. And then all of a sudden, in verse 6, you have Artaxerxes to come in. And as soon as Cyrus, the one who made the decree about them building the temple, was out of office, they said, now let's write a letter to the new king. You know why? Because now he can fill our purpose. Because this person, listen, King Cyrus, the original one, he wouldn't, listen, he wasn't going to strike down the decree. And it was, it was given to him from God. That wasn't going to happen. So they waited until the king that had nothing to do with it got into office. And as soon as he got there, they wrote him a letter. These are the people of the land that wrote him a letter. The adversaries of the people of Israel. They wrote him a letter. And it's, it's amazing. You can read the rest of, of chapter 4. The letter, it talks bad about the Jews. Now, granted, some of the things it said, it said, you know, Jerusalem was a, or the, they was, they was a bad city. And they're talking about things of the past. When they had rebelled, they had been held captive. That stuff was all over. But he's bringing this to this new king. Oh no, they're a bad city. They rebel against you. You can't let them build. Listen, they said nothing about the temple. You can't let them build the city. I want y'all to go back and read it. And we covered this last week. They told them, you can't let them build the city and the walls around the city. And then they lied and said, not only have they made the, te- the, the temple foundation, but they've adjoined the walls to the foundation and the, wall, and the walls of the temple up. That was a bald-faced lie. The walls don't go up until later on with ne- Nehemiah on the wall. The walls ain't even up yet. So now they're lying to get what they want. And they told the king who had no idea what was going on. So what did the king do? The king would do what any other king would did in his time. He went to the history books to see about Israel. And guess what he found? He found they did rebel. They were a rebellious city. They were held captive. But I want you to also understand one thing he found. He found out that there was a decree from Cyrus that they told them to build the temple. And to build the walls around the temple. So what did the king do? He told the people of the land, he said, you know what? Go over there and tell them to stop building the city. And stop building the walls around the city. He had said nothing about the temple. Nothing about the temple of God. Why? First off, God told them to do that. Second off, King Cyrus had already decreed that. Persian, like I said last week, Persian kings are not going to go down and strike down another, a decree from another Persian king. He told them, tell them stop building the city. And the walls around the city. Now, granted, you know, the people, the, the people of the land, they went back to the Israelites and they told them, you got to stop building. Period. You gotta, and they used force. 
And, and that's the thing about force, right? Because we got to press, right? I believe, this is me, because we know they didn't make the decision, but I believe if they would have went to the king and brought this to him, they'd have been like, he'd have been like, I didn't tell y'all to stop building that temple. There's a decree for it. I told them to stop building the, the city and the walls around the city. I believe they would have did that, but guess what? The people of Israel were so discouraged, they were like, you know what? We're done. We've given up. I've lost confidence in what God commanded us to do. There's too much. We've done too much work. Our, our, our purpose has been frustrated too many times. I'm done. They didn't question none of the things. And, and the, I'm telling you, I, I know it. Because God didn't put that in there for no reason. I, he, if they would have went and challenged that in front of the king, the king would have been like, I didn't say stop building that temple. That was a decree from the previous Persian king. Read it carefully. He says, stop building the city and the walls around the city. And in their response, it, it's so, I'm going to tell you how conniving the enemy is. The, the people of the land, when they told the king, if you look, they didn't mention the temple either. All they said was that it was finished. So now, in their mind, he's thinking, oh, the temple's finished. We don't even need to speak about it no more. They told him they put the foundation and put the walls there. The people of Israel were discouraged. Weren't willing to, weren't willing to, 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 to take the initiative and say, you know what? Let me go talk to the king. Because this, listen, they would have been, they would have been within their rights. It was a decree from the king to build their temple. They would have been well within their rights. But discouragement set in. Lost the confidence in what God told them. And then we saw what had been going on, you know, since when they stopped. And at the, let me, let me read the last verse in there. Verse, chapter 4. Verse 24, Ezra 4 and 24, it says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, for those who haven't gone back and done the math, I'm going to tell you like I did last week. The work stopped for 16 years. That's 16 years of doing nothing for God. He just, he just got them free from captivity, brought them back to their land, gave them everything they need to move forward. But some discouragement stopped them. They settled down in that discouragement for 16 years and did nothing for God. We're almost where we were last week. And so how did, how did they turn these things around? Because I'm telling you, God deals with his people. He will not allow you. If you're, him and you cho- if you're his and you choose him, he won't allow you to stay in that place of discouragement. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then the prophet Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews and were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So how did he turn around? He sent some prophets. God sent some prophets to prophesy to him. And we're going to see what they said. So let's turn back. Uh, we went here last week, and I won't go too far into it, but let's turn to Haggai, chapter 1. And I'll read, starting at verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, you see it's the same year, in the sixth month, so it's June, it was last month, or however they count their months, in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, 
the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. So, the people are saying, this is 16 years. This is what you got to see, too. 16 years, right? They see this temple every day that they started. The foundation. But no building been done. Knowing that God gave them commandment. See, that, 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 that reminds me of what pastor told us. God's will is always right there in front of you. They can see it on a day-in, day-out basis. What they were supposed to be doing. But instead, they said, ah, uh, now's not the time to do it. We tried it. See, that's that fatigue. Uh, we already tried that. Now's not the time to do it. The king has already said that we shouldn't, even though he didn't. See, this was their mind frame. And Haggai, Haggai is letting them know about themselves. And he says, verse 2 again, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the, the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lying waste? So that will give you a hint of what they were doing during those 16 years. Because remember, when they got there, they had to build everything. But now they got houses. See, they, they neglected the Lord's house. But now, on their sealed houses, what I say, they're sealed, that means ornamentally dressed and built, sturdy. They spent time building their houses. But you know why it was so easy? They didn't have to press to do that. But they forgot about God's house. They said, oh, is it time for us to, for you to dwell in your houses and you've neglected the work that the Lord has given you? And if you keep on reading, you, you'll see Haggai's telling them there's no work for your reward. Every nickel you made, every penny you made just falls like the bottom, like, like a, there's a hole in the bag. You're working, you're beating, you're frustrated. He tells them. Verse 6 says, You have so much, you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but none of you is warm. And he that earns the wages, earns the wages to put in the bag with holes. See, I should tell you, listen, all my efforts without God, they're going to come to naught. All my efforts that I do out of my place of discouragement are just going to be that. Discouraged effort. Which brings me to nothing. But, I want you to see that in verse 14 it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua and the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of, their ho of hosts, their God. So what caused them to turn around? What caused them to say, you know what, we got to get up out of this place of discouragement? What started to encourage them? And we said it last week, to receive encouragement and to encourage ourselves in the Lord, we need a fresh, unstale collision with God's word. That's the first thing that happened to them. Like every, like every, like I said, like every beginning in God's word, we need a word from the Lord. That's where your direction will come from. That's where your pickup will come from. What did God? What was the first thing God do? He sent prophets. They need a word from the Lord. They're too discouraged to even move forward. And when you have this fresh, unstale collision with God's word, the first thing it'll do, just like it did them, is it's going to confront your sin. So you're building your house without building the Lord's house. Let's confront your sin first. 
See, because that's the thing about it, right? When you're in a place of discouragement, you begin to blame God, you get to a place of sin quick. And God's like, let me deal with you. Because mostly, a lot of times in a place of discouragement, not only blaming God, but you begin to blame other people too. And God is like, hold on, let's bring it to where it needs to be. Right back to the center, right back to you. Because when God is talking to you, guess who he's talking to you about? You. All of his word. That's how we get reproof. That's how we receive our instructions in righteousness. That's how we know as believers what we're supposed to be doing. What else will God's word word do? And I believe this is where we left off last week, so I think we're making good time. He said God's word will confirm his grace if we will repent. And at this point I believe we went over to Zechariah. Yes, this is where we left off. So let's turn to Zechariah because he was also one of the prophets that were there. And I love verse 1. God just speaks. Verse 1, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. So this is two months later. Same year, two months later, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. See, this, this is what I'm telling you. The way the enemy hits you up with discouragement nonstop, you need to hit yourself up with the word nonstop. This is two months later, too, after Haggai. And the word, if you want to be encouraged, it's got to be a nonstop assault with God's word. Here it is, two months later, and here's Zechariah still with, and listen, they had already begun to start building, but guess what? The word of the Lord did not stop coming. So here it is in the verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of days, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying. And before I moved on from there last time, I, you know, I gave you all the meaning of Zechariah's name. Zechariah means whom the Lord remembers. His father, Berechiah, means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather Edo means at the appointed time. And those three names sum up the message that Zechariah was bringing to the people. Whom the Lord remembers, he blesses at the appointed time. And that's what, listen, that was a, if, if you do any type of research on uh, Zechariah, he's known as the prophet of hope or encouragement. And that was his, you know, that, that was his, that was his, his whole premise of his words to the people here. He spoke of hope. The very thing needed to get out of discouragement. But, I want you to see, we'll, we'll start in verse 2. Because the very first thing he speaks of is God's fierce wrath. It says, the Lord has been sore displeased with your fathers. He's displeased. But immediately, he turns to the goodness of God in verse 3. Therefore, and here it is right here. Therefore saith, say thou unto them, thus said the Lord of hosts. Turn ye unto me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you. See, right after that, you see his, 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 his fierce wrath there, you see a gracious invitation. Though. All you have to do is choose me in your circumstance, and I will return to you. That, see, that's the hope of our God. Because he has the answer. Return to me. I will be gracious to you with my loving kindness and tender mercies. But you have to return to to me. And this, you know, this is shown, God's grace is shown in this whole situation. You, you think about, back about Ezra 3, that was a new beginning for them. When they were released from captivity, that was a new beginning. And here it is 16 years later, and here's God with his grace. I'll give you a new, new beginning. 
if you just trust in me. That is the loving kindness of our God. He's never done with you. That's what I, forget what lies behind. Know what he just told him? Forget about the 16 years. I need you to press and trust in me. What a gracious God. He, he just lets, he, he just let him know, you're not defined by those, that discouragement or that disappointment. Not up your mind. Not if you're trusting in me. It's okay. Pick it up and let's move forward. I'm so glad. Sister said it earlier, I'm so glad he has not dealt with us according to our sin. I'm so glad he has not dealt with us according to our sin. Because I know, listen, the wage of the sin, I deserve it. I deserve it. But he came and justly paid the price. All we have to do is believe and trust in him. And his grace is there for you. It's him that allows us to take, you know, to take the courage that we need to move forward. Can't allow that discouragement to paralyze. We can't allow us to be discouraged so much that we just, like I said, be paralyzed. Christ will give you that courage to take that next step. Even if, the, even if it looks like an impossible obstacle. That's just, that's just another opportunity to take just another step further in Christ. Because all things are possible. For God, nothing is impossible. So what else will the Word do? The Word will realign our priorities under Him, making Him first priority. See, when, when the prophet spoke, it says they spoke in the name of God. That means when I speak, I'm speaking with specific instructions for you to follow. And Haggai exhorted them, get your priorities in order. Why y'all out here building y'all's houses and leaving the house of the Lord undone? God first. See, God's word will show you, ah, I see where I missed it. Lots of people don't like to see where they missed it. That's the thing, right? We got to get over self. Get over our own egos. Get over that I'm right all the time bit. Especially you men. I say that because I'm a man and I had, I had that bad. I'm still working on it. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. You're not right all the time. Set your priorities under him. Ah, but I, this is my family first. I got to take care of my family. I got to get my house. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He can take care of everything else. Set your priorities under. He knows what you need. You don't. You just know what you want. But he knows what you need. He knows what your family needs. You may think, ah, now is my only chance to get this house over here when you can stay right by your church in an apartment, save you some money until something more better, something comes up, and so that you don't remove yourself from the place where you get your encouragement. You don't need a house right now. You need encouragement. You don't need this new car right now. You need encouragement. You don't need a wife or a husband right now. You need encouragement. See, all those things people want, but God knows what you need. Before you bring that discouragement into a relationship with a wife. 
Or you'd be living in your new big house and walking around discouraged and everybody got attitude with each other. His word will align him as the priority. He's at the center. Everything else flows around that. See, and this will encourage you. I know it sounds like I'm fussing. I'm not. See, because, listen, no correction is, it seems beneficial for the moment. But correction from the Lord, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. Leave the details to God. It's when we get to the details, we get distracted and discouraged. What else will, will God's word do? It'll show us how to live a life that pleases Him. Without the word from the prophets, you know, in, in, uh, back here from the two prophets, I bet you there were some Jews who thought they were living just fine. We built our own houses. Uh, we're not in captivity no more. The 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 ones who were left there, there, there were still some Jews in Babylon. They're not like us. They ain't back in the land. They ain't got their own house. They ain't even got a temple there either. Just like we ain't got a temple, but at least we got our own place. Everything seems right in their own eyes. Everything pleases them. But does it please God when his house is left undone? That's why it's so crucial. That's why God sent the, the prophets to him. Because how can you hear without a preacher? <laughs> you, think you, you think you're doing right because you're doing right by the world standards. You think you're doing good, but you got a couple zeros in your bank account. It's, you know, it's, it's real funny because it's easy to think you're doing okay when you compare yourself to people that you already think ain't doing as good as you. It's real easy to, you know, well, they ain't doing this. Like I said about them, they're probably looking back at the Israelites that were still in Persia. You know, when you're out of the will of God, but you see somebody worse than you, oh, then it's fine to, it's fine to compare them. We have to adjust our thinking. Adjust our priorities. See, because it's, it's only when we adjust our thinking and our priorities that we realize what we're doing is not pleasing to God. What I'm doing, what I've allowed to, to take hold of me and the place that I'm in, it's not pleasing to God. That's why I said, like, like I said before, a lot of believers, they're, they're, they're tricking and fooling themselves. Living a the fake front in front of people. Oh, everything's fine. Yeah, every bill's paid. That don't. Every bill's paid. You got food on the table. See that? That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Those are blessings from God. And because those are there, and you know they're blessings from God, you think you're okay. See, I'm getting those blessings too, and I'm not doing this, this, or that, or the other. Uh, let me tell you something. That's a. That's a. That's a. Listen. The enemy will let you think you're being blessed. Don't you, don't you think that? Don't you, don't you understand that? He'll give you everything you want as long as you're not in the will of God. Because that's the one thing he don't want. So 
So number one again, to overcome discouragement, we need a fresh home collision with God's word. Number two, to receive encouragement and to encourage ourselves in the Lord, we need to get back to the work of the Lord. <laughs> we need to continue in the work that he's already given us. Let's turn back to Ezra. Ezra chapter 5. And this sums up, uh, chapter 5 verse 2, what happens after Zechariah and Haggai come to them. Verse 2 it says, Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedek, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. See, remember, discouragement led them to abandon the work for 16 years. The prophets got, called them back to work, and they were stirred by the word of God to work. And here's the thing, right? There's, there's, there's something encouraging about serving the Lord, especially if you've been on the sidelines for a while. God knows how to, t- he knows how to do with your heart, only in, even in service. There's an encouragement that even after all this, after what lies behind me, he can still use me. Remember, we're forgetting what lies behind. We're pressing. That's, that's what press is. Listen, whether it's physical labor or if you're doing ministry or spiritual labor in someone's life, you need to get back to the work of the Lord. Uh, you need to get back for work of the Lord in your local ministry. It's real easy to get self-focused and start to worry about self, and you forget to think. You forget about what ministry God has called you to. Uh, you're at this local church, so guess what? Every individual at this local church is, is your ministry. Have you been helping build that house, or have it, has it been? You know what? It's time for me to fend for me and my own. My own. Let me tell you something about being a Christian. God didn't call us to be Christians alone. He didn't call us to believe alone. He put us together for encouragement. That, that type of self-pity and self-commitment, it keeps us from seeing the will of God which is right in front of us because you're only looking at you. I told you I was going to give you some life examples and about you know, standing and since we're talking about you know continuing in the work of the Lord, for those who don't know, me and my wife have had trouble having children, and it's just because of you know something something that's been going on with uh, uh, with the body uh, for her, and she she has the illness, and it's not something that's keeping her; it's a medicine that she cannot have children when she's taking it, and when the flare-ups come, she has to have this medicine. Okay. And so, we've been dealing with this for years. Every time we think, you know, you can come off this medicine, another flare-up. Another flare-up. Another flare-up. And I just, God, I, I, I'm going to tell you, after a few years, I got discouraged. I got to a place, I was like, God, I, I want my own children. And I knew my wife did. We had talked about it. We had cried about it together. All these things. I want my own children. I want this. I want that. It got to the point, when I was early in our marriage, I had started drowning myself in work. I was, when I worked at Apple, I worked six days, sometimes seven days a week. Some of y'all remember me, I wasn't here. I wasn't out here. But I, did, I chose to do that too. 
I chose to be that yes man. I started drowning myself. I'm like, well, maybe I can do this. I can, I can make things better. I can make this money. I can do this, this, that, and the other. Everything will be fine. And I'm telling you, I just keep getting dug into a bigger place of discouragement. Nothing was changing. Yeah, you had, you had money in the account. You got this, this, and that, and you're still discouraged. Because there's been no answer. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I had to surrender. I had to bow down those things that I said I wanted to God. It wasn't until then that I was like, you know what? Let me get myself back to where I can get the instruction I need. Let me get myself back into the ministry. Let me get myself back into the church. Let me get myself back into hearing, listen, the encouragement that I need. Let me get myself around people that can encourage me in the Lord. And it's so amazing. <laughs> it's so amazing. And, and, and I came to this realization not too long ago. And I was just babysitting one of the, uh, our members' children. And God was like, if you allow me, I will heal your heart and I'll give you what you need. I was babysitting one of my sister's children. And just out of the blue, he just looked up at me and called me daddy. Now, I'm not this child's father, but God said, do you see what I brought you through ministry? I brought you many children in the Lord. And let me tell you, I have to allow God to speak to me that way. Because if you hear that, you're like, no, that's not what I want. But God is like, but that's what I've given you. And that's what you need. And I'm telling you, when he did that, I was so encouraged. I, I had to go into another room. I started crying to myself. I was so encouraged to continue in the lives of these people here. Because not only was that encouraging to me, but it's encouraging to this, listen, the mother of this child and this child. Being that in their life, being that this child doesn't have a father in the home. It's amazing how God supplies what you need in his body. He had that for me there. Not only that, but my wife. I'm telling you, she lived every moment of it. I could see the joy in her face. I could see the I said, oh, oh, that's life that only God can give. Leave it to me. I'd have been like, you know what? I, let me just make some more money then. Maybe that'll fix the, the problem. That was the first time I had, I had cried tears of joy over the situation. God is so good. That he just thinks of me in those small things. It's small to some people. It's huge to me. Such an amazing God. But you see, none of that would have been available to me if I didn't get up and continue the work of the Lord. I wouldn't even have seen it. I wouldn't have experienced it. I might have been up here this day. Well, not up here. But I might have been blaming God for what was going on in my life. <laughs> but now I'm here I'm here giving him thanks and praise because he's always remembered us never forgot listen before, did you, God knew that me and my wife was going to go through this even before we got married <laughs> he was saying back there just trust that's the goodness of God and listen that's just continuing in his work Continuing working in the lives and with the lives of his people here in this ministry. You know, I think of, you know, when my father passed. Now, I wasn't even going to share this right now, but I think about when my father passed. And I'm telling you, I was, I was close to my father. Close to my father. And I was ready to give up. That's why I'm so grateful for the people of this ministry. I was ready to give up. I really was. 
the sister said it this morning, you never know what anybody else is going through. <laughs> you never do. I was ready to let it go. I was ready to give up. I was ready to call it quits. I, you know, let me tell you my mind frame. It was, it was immature when I thought of it. I was like, God, your servant? You let your servant go? That, that was my mind frame. I was discouraged. And I, I literally saw myself in front of the mirror just looking at myself saying, what are you going to do? Because I was clueless at that point. In tears. If you don't know by now, when it comes to family, I, I'm a big crybaby. But in tears. Hurting, discouraged. And it wasn't until, when I say until, I was in ministry, but I decided at that point that I was going to continue. I used that discouragement, if you will, as an event to propel me forward. And here's the thing about God. Like I told you, he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget who's his. He knows I long for that, that father figure. And in this ministry, there are men that, I'm not saying they're trying to take the role of my father, but they will not let me forget what my father has taught me. They will not let me forget. Because, and, and let me tell you what he's taught me, this word. <laughs> they will not let me forget this. And I look at them as fathers. I'm so grateful. God is like, if you stay with me, I'll give you what you need as a father in your life. It's so amazing to me. And it wasn't like I went and asked them and begged for them. And this, they, they saw me continue the mission. Guess what? They came to me. Now, I listen. Now, I long for it. I go to them. But they saw the need for it. In ministry. Continuing in ministry. And guess what? I found now what I've, what I've learned to do is stick with what God brings you. Listen, I, you might see me, a lot of people see me around me in the States and a lot. Guess what? God brought him in my life. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. You know how I know God brought him in my life? Because the only thing he puts in my life is this word. Keeps me focused on, the, on his will. That's a father. <laughs> Thank you, God. See, these are things... If you, if you purpose to keep God first, he was like, I, I got you. I knew this day. But listen, there's going to be a day that comes that your father's going to go. Your mother's going to go. Are you going to allow God to take you up? See, that's what I mean when I say allow God to take you up. Because he knows what you need. There's, you're, going to lose people. you're going to lose family members. You're going to lose brothers. You're going to lose sisters. Allow God to take you up. Listen, you have brothers and sisters right here. But guess what? In order to get those benefits, you've got to be present. In order to be encouraged and get out of that place of discouragement, you've got to be present. You've got to be here. Or you will never... Listen, the only time we see you is when you're in a place of discouragement, and that's when you come. You'll never get out of your discouragement. You got to trust that God knows what you need. It was, you know, those those circumstances in life and those those every discouragement. That's what made me made up my mind about God. I didn't use, I didn't let them make up my mind. And as far as I'm done with God, I let them make up my mind is I'm going to have full, complete confidence in Him. You know why? Here's the things He reminded me. When you were here, your dad's father passed when he was here. How did he get? How did he move forward? 
He reminded me of all the people at this church who have lost loved ones. He also reminded me of the people at this, the people that I know that have lost and, and go to the same thing and didn't move forward. And he said, but do you see the difference? It's the word of God that makes the difference. Makes the difference in everything. So we have to continue in his work. Number three, to encourage ourselves in the Lord, we must persevere in the face of opposition. And we're almost through here. So, and as we saw in the scriptures, you know, the enemy is not going to be idle when we start a new beginning with the Lord. It's not going to be idle. Actually, you know what? Are we still in Ezra chapter 5? Let me read verse 3 here. Because here they are. They started the work of the Lord again. And I want you to see the enemy still, even though it's a new, new beginning, he's still at work. Verse 3, it says, At the same time, actually, let me read two again. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatanai, governor on the side of the river, and Shethar y'all know what that is, and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? So here we are. As soon as they start, no sooner than they start, here's the enemy back again. So I don't know. Y'all are, y'all are building the house. With the, they had nothing to say about the, listen, nothing to say about their houses getting built. Nothing. It's not until they start the temple again. And here he is, right? Who told you I can build this? And I love, I love verse 5, what it says right here. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me read verse 4. Then said we unto them after this manner, what are the names of the men that make, that make this building? And then I love verse 5 here. It says, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. <laughs> that right there. See, it, it, it's amazing. See, the, the Tatanai, the governor, he didn't demand like the other person did. Or the, the, he didn't demand that the work be stopped right now. And I want you to know why. Because the eyes of God were upon the people. See, that's a, see they didn't stop working. They kept moving forward because God commanded them to. And, they, and guess what? In their mind now, there wasn't nothing that Tats and I could do to stop it. So he said this thing, but guess what? It didn't stop the work. They kept going. Because the eyes of God was on them. Though they were facing those challenges, they didn't let it discourage them like it did last time. That I means no matter what comes your way, if the eye of God is on you, you can continue. You can persevere. You can press. Even when the enemy is trying to watch us and get us to quit. And, and you know what? That reminds me of some of the, the prophets told him. He told him that very thing. T- turn to Zechariah real quick. Turn back. I have to mention this because I remember going over this actually a couple years ago. This is something that Zechariah told him in Zechariah chapter 3. Because, listen, I just told you. If you're starting a new work for the Lord, the enemy's going to be there. But, if God's eye is on you, you don't have to worry about nothing. The Lord has you. Let's read it. Chapter 3. 
Verses 1, and this is some of the encouraging words Zechariah told the people of Israel. He said, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now Joshua is representing the people of Israel, okay? He's re- listen, he's, he's re- Joshua is representing you. <laughs> and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Do you see it? He showed me Joshua, and Joshua is doing the will of God, and... And who's there with him? The Lord is there, but so is Satan. He tells him right there, Satan's there. This is Zechariah talking to the people that were in discouragement. But then verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? See, when you trust in God, you do not have to fight your battles. Listen, he was there, but the Lord was there. So guess what? We ain't got to pay no mind to the devil. The Lord will rebuke him. If you're in him. If you are focused on his will, which is right in front of you. The Lord will rebuke him. See, these are some of the encouraging things things he told the people of Israel. Because guess what? They were being discouraged. But the Lord fights for you. See, that's the type of encouragement I needed. That's what got me out of where I was. All those things that are going on, yeah, but God. He's greater than all those things. He saved me. He's he's saving me. He continues to, he will save me from whatever comes my way. Think of his goodness. Listen, his goodness, thinking on his goodness, that will cause you to pick up and rebuild. That will cause you to be encouraged and move forward, to get out of your discouragement. So Ezra 5, let's go back to Ezra. I want you to see this letter that Tatanai sent to the king. Because he sent a letter too. And I'll read verse, chapter 5, verse 6. And it says, the copy of the letter that Tatanai, or let me finish by it. But the eye of God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease. So the matter came to Darius. And then they returned an- they returned answer by letter concerning this matter. Verse 6. The copy of the letter that Tatanai governor on this side of the river, and sh- that guy, and his companions, the Aphrosites, which were on the side of the- this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him wherein was written, the- wherein was written thus, unto king Darius the king of all, king, king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province, province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders and said unto them, Thus, who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked the names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief to them. And thus they returned us answer, saying, We are the servants of, of the God of heaven and earth, and built the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. And they're talking about Solomon, who, who had built it years ago. And it's funny, so King Tatanai sent a letter to King Darius. And it's so interesting to me what it reveals, right? It's so different. If I remember that letter from last week, it's so different from that letter from last week. So, the letter from last week, actually, let me, let me finish reading, because I didn't finish reading it all. 
Verse 12. But after that, our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them unto the head of, hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus, made a decree to build this house of God. And the vessels also of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, and brought them into the temple of Babylon, those did Cyrus the king take out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered unto one, whose name was Shezabazar, who he had made governor. And said unto him, Take these vessels, go carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in this place. Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even until now, hath it been in building, and yet it is not finished. Now therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be a search made in the king's treasure house, which is, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. So, first off, the letter that Tatanai sent to the king, it was so different from that person. You know why? Because the eyes of God was on them. See, they were already in a place of discouragement before, and they were responding out. They were weakened. They were fatigued. But now the eyes of God are on them. They're not weakened. They're not fatigued. And so now, you know, he sends a letter, and the letter, it's not talking bad about Jerusalem. He's giving them facts. Like the first time, because the God is on them, the God's eyes is on them. They're, he's not, they're not in there saying they're a rebellious city. They're lying on them. They're not lying on them. They're telling the 100% truth. They're telling the facts. Now, don't get it twisted, because the enemy is still trying to use this as a source of discouragement, but God, God's eye is on it. And then he even told them, listen, it's not lost to me that, you, that we saw there in verse 17. He told them, now he told them, go look back and see this, the, the decree made by Cyrus. They could have did that the first time, y'all remember? But now, see, 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 they're about that work now. They're about that life. They're about God's business. See, they told him, listen, you can go look at the decree now. See, there's something, let me tell you, there's something about giving a good testimony of who you are that'll keep, listen, because I, I, believe, I believe that that testimony of who they, who they are they gave to Tatanai, I think that's what, I think that affected Tatanai. I think that's the reason why there wasn't no lies in there, besides God, because God's eyes on them. <laughs> they gave a testimony of God, I believe Tatanai was, to me, I believe he was impressed. Because he was like, oh, we need to stop this, but my goodness. And, they, and he even said it. They're building these things and they're moving fast. I think he was impressed with the testimony that he had. That they had of their God. See, that's how you, that's how you, that's how you get encouraged. That's how you encourage yourself. When you face with opposition, give a, give a testimony of who you are in Christ. Uh, live that testimony of who you are in Christ. That's, it. That's how you encourage yourself. If, if, you, if, if you be bold for the Lord, I promise His eye will be on you. If you're ashamed of Him, that's a different story. Because He's the one that upholds you. Amen. And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to skip to the last one here. Just make sure I get this before we, before we finish. The last one, number four, is to receive encouragement and to encourage, our, encourage ourselves in the Lord, we need to trust that the sovereign God will do what he said he would do in and through us. 
He's the sovereign God. He knows all. He sees all. We need to trust that. Philippians says it this way. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work, which had begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of his coming. See, behind the renewal of God's people and the bringing back, look, I was at work. Like I said, he wasn't only dealing with the people of Israel, but he was dealing, listen, he's dealing with pagan gods, their kings. Kings, listen, the kings of Persia, they were not believers. But he's dealing with their hearts. Working sovereignly behind the scene. Why? So his will can get done. Like I said, I believe he dealt with the heart of Tatnai. After, he, after Tatnai heard that testimony, he made sure everything was in order. He didn't say not one lie on them. And he gave that, that very testimony to the king. And if you read in, verse, in chapter 6, the king said, oh, let them, we ain't stopping nothing then. Because the testimony, it, it, preached, it ministered to him. He said, let them continue building. When God gives a promise, he's faithful to complete it. But never forget, you have an adversary. When God gives a promise, the enemy is out there to oppose it. In your mind. He can't stop God's promises. He can stop it for you. If you choose not to to live or abide by it. He's always seeking whom he may devour. And it's been that way from the beginning. He, listen... What he's been trying to do from the very beginning is this one thing to get your eyes off of all the blessings God has for you. What did it take for Adam and Eve? Just one tree in the midst of all the blessings that was around them. One tree in the garden. Caused them to miss everything that was around. Satan cast a doubt on them. Remember in the garden? You, you won't surely die. You, and guess what happens? You, you lose confidence in God. And then sin is at the door. So we have to place our life in his hands. Even if, it does, you know, even if we don't understand. He's a sovereign God. He's at work. I'm reminded when the Bible says that... Uh, uh, God hardened, hardened uh, Pharaoh's heart. He allowed his heart to be hardened. You know why? From his will to be complete. He's at work. It's in that trust for God that we can be encouraged and we can also encourage others. That he's working all things out for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. One thing I want to leave y'all with is remember, discouragement is just as just as contagious as, as, as encouragement. You can come around somebody with a discouraging attitude, and guess what? You can change the whole mood, the whole place, the whole function, whatever's going on. But instead of passing on those feelings, I'm going to challenge you as a believer to pass on the Word of God. Even in your discouragement. Don't pass on discouragement. Pass on His Word. Let his word be the thing that's contagious in your life. So that we don't stay as a people, as a, as a ministry of church and water with people in discouragement. That we can forget what lies behind. 
so we can press forward to the mark of the prize of, high, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.